0: 12 o'clock join me on facebook live if you possibly can and if you're a big movie buff because this is where we say hello and bonjour to a crack reviewer james marsh have you viewed any good
1: cracks this week james <laughs> how are you i don't even know i don't even know what to say how are you uh but bonjour to you too yes uh Oh, tally awesome. um yeah not bad it's funny. It's funny that you 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 talk, you talk about that. We have actually a film um, this week called Six Minutes to Midnight, which Ooh. is uh, set on the south coast of England, just in the build-up to the uh, outbreak of World War Two. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Which, is that uh, the Eddie, Izzard? Of, is that the Eddie Izzard, of, Izzard one? Yeah, he's a Yeah, a big fan um, of her. Mm-hmm. Them. And although <laughs> although that film is German and English, uh, our our terrible French just then reminded me of Eddie Izzard's <laughs> stand-up because he likes to do. French it, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, also out this week is uh, we well, have to take a tray.
0: Sorry, I'll stop that. No, yeah. Eddie Izzard Lego desktop no, no, don't get me started because
1: I will. I will just go. I on am and your on. boss. Like Are you Mr. Python. Stevens? Mm. All right, that's it. Done. This oh. one is wet. This <laughs> one is wet. Yeah. I'll take. A anyway.
0: Go on. Oh, anyway. hang on! Join us on Facebook Live. We need you. We need you to help out, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> just Can to stop plainly. us from doing.
1: Yeah. Half an hour of Eddie Izzard, yeah. Uh, also, OK, the big the big title bout of main event, the big ticket item, is that the first blockbuster I think we've had out in Hong Kong or anywhere since probably Tenet last summer, and that is Godzilla vs. Kong. So we'll get to that. Uh, we also have, uh, there's a sort of comedy drama based around the hilarious subject of cancer called Our Friend. Where's that Starring. That's American, starring Jason Siegel and Casey Affleck and Dakota Johnson.
0: Okay. Um, oh, no,
1: we've got a few. So there. we'll get to that. And then if there's time, I might treat you to my thoughts on a Taiwanese psychological sci-fi thriller called Plurality. I cannot wait. Uh, what I just thought... Yeah, I know. You can't wait. I mean, that's going to be clearly... Oh, <laughs> well, James, clearly James, the... James. I'm sorry, but it's already
0: started. Um, hello to Steve on Facebook Live. Who's just Bring written it. Cake or Death. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Stop it. Uh, oh my goodness me. We've had a run on the cake. I might have to ban
0: um <laughs> I might have to ban Steve and
1: me. I might have to ban me. <clears throat> so before that, I thought, you know, it's it's award season, so I thought I'd just do a quick little update on where we're all at with the with the awards and what's happening. Oscar's obviously in full swing, Oscar nominations are out and they're due at the end of April. Um everything obviously happening a little bit later than in previous years. Yeah. Uh, so we have had a couple of the major Guild Award results, which are always very good indicators of what to expect come Oscar time. We've had the Writers Guild Awards, uh, and that was... Uh, it was surprising. Um, promising Young Woman, Emerald Fennell, one for Promising Young Woman for Best Original Screenplay, right. which I'm very excited about because that's my pick so far for best uh, original screenplay at the Oscars. Uh, Her main competition there seems to be Aaron Sorkin for um, The Trial of the Chicago 7. But she won for that, so that's great. and then in Best Adapted Screenplay, I think it's quite quite surprising, but it just shows how much su- so political or otherwise support there is behind this film and its subject matter. Borat, Subsequent Movie Film, mm. won for Best Adapted Screenplay because you know they're acknowledging that it's based on a pre- previously existing character because it's a sequel. Is that going to rattle but I'm surprised p- people? Well, no, I think what it is is it's Hollywood essentially giving him the thumbs up for... Poking people like Rudy Giuliani with yeah, a big stick, okay. uh, and that kind of thing, for the you know for the political leanings of its content. How what was surprising is that for a film that is arguably. Uh, predominantly improvised and, you know, mm. shot off the cuff, unscripted in a documentary style, that it would win an award for its writing, specifically. They- but I guess they're <laughs> acknowledging that, you know, you have to orchestrate these situations. I mean, I remember when I reviewed the film, uh, it it has more scripted content in it than the the, the previous film, because they've got to build up that relationship sure. between him and his his daughter. And I felt those were actually the weaker parts of the film, okay. and that Oh, wow. What you go to a Borat film for are those, uh, you know, real inadvertent commas moments. Uh, however, you know, people seem to acknowledge the fact that even the staging of that, the orchestration of that, requires a degree of uh, writing or at least sort of uh, pre-planning, and uh, have awarded it accordingly. I, mm. I think it is also up for the Oscar, so we'll have to see how that goes. Um,
0: What's your mind? So Yeah. Those are the what major... do you reckon? What's your What's your tea leaves say?
1: Well, these are the tea leaves. No, your you tea. You know, your your really... tea leaves on on Bora. I mean, would you give it a? No, don't worry. Won't hold you to it. But much. Well, yeah. No, I'm sur- I'm surprised, quite frankly, when it's up against some strong competition uh, in the adapted screenplay category for the Oscars. I mean, it's up against nomad Nomadland. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head what else it's up against, but you know, I was surprised because it is you know largely improvisational but nevertheless it's winning and momentum does seem to build and with these guild awards they are voted on by members of that of that guild and so the writers guild awards are are voted upon by all the writers in hollywood yeah you know who are who are in the guild and they are predominantly you know the people who vote for the oscars so it's it's a strong indicator similarly we've had the pga awards as well which is nothing to do with golf it is uh, the producers guild awards and these are again a very good indicator of what will win best picture so no surprises there that nomad land won the, the big pga best picture prize so that is still on course to uh, go all the way so uh things are shoring up i mean i think the actors um awards are still wide open right now it'll be interesting to see what happens at the SAG Awards which obviously is the Actors Guild that has yet to happen um, and then we haven't had the BAFTAs yet either have we I can't remember no uh, so a lot still to come another month to go but we shall see but I think I think right now if I was going to put money on the acting awards right now I think Chadwick Boseman is going to win posthumously I'd love to see Carrie Mulligan win for Promising Young Woman yeah. Daniel Kaluuya in Best Supporting Actor and then Best Supporting Actress is wide open. You've got this actress, uh, Maria Bakalova, who plays Borat's daughter. Mm. And I think people really love the way that she was able to um, hold her own, not only opposite Sasha Baron Cohen, but opposite the likes of Rudy Giuliani in real worlds real-time situations, stay in character, even when he is doing potentially repulsive things in a, behind closed doors where she's the only other person there you know there might be you know enough support behind her for that uh, But so, most- so do we call this Why cinema verite verite I mean. you it- may no, you I mean, may if you want is it, to
0: it, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's semi isn't it kind of because we know the gag they don't
1: it's it's a strange kind of meta field of sort of yes it is semi documentary documentary it is cinema verite you know there is a sort doing of neo realist <laughs> it's good for radio isn't it <laughs> it's brilliant no we have got millions of viewers today yeah anyway I there mean, is a sort of and, the surprise of the yeah season. I mean yes yeah, very much so. certainly, yes, to my mind, very much the surprise of the award season is how well Borat is doing. Can
0: you pedal back a bit on Nomadland? One of our esteemed correspondents says Nomadland was exceptional. Loved it. Join us on Facebook Live. Love to hear from you. Yeah, exceptional. Loved it, says this person called Steve.
1: Uh, Yeah, I'll be talking uh, a lot more about Nomadland next week when it actually comes out in Hong Kong. Um, Does that mean you watched it it
0: illegally? Does that probably mean...
1: No, not at all. It it made it into my top ten. Uh last year i do like the film very much even though it's not it's not my type of movie necessarily i watched it on an award screener end of last year in order to qualify for my top 10 which obviously they were very interested in making sure that Of course. Um, Since then, I have seen a local press screening, so I have seen it on the big screen. It definitely benefits from being seen on the big screen. The cinematography is fantastic. You know, it all plays out against the landscape of the vast emptiness that is uh, Middle America. Yep. Uh, That's very, you know, that that kind of tapestry deserves to be seen as big as possible. Uh, And it it played even better. You know, it resonated with me even more. So anyway, I'll talk about that more next week. Suffice to say, it's coming. It's going to win Best Picture and Best it's Director good. at the Oscars. It, it just will. Yeah. Uh, but, it is, but it is a very American film. <laughs> you know, the themes are... They're accessible themes, but they are very American themes. In what What way? it's about. It's well, dim- I'll tell you next week. Oh, all
0: right, then. All right, then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I have you on tenterhooks. Now, when you, say, when you say very American, do you mean in a Fargo sort of way? In terms of the cultural references and stuff in that
1: film? <laughs> all right, all right. I'm, I might, I'll, I'll I might. Wait, <laughs> No, I want to wait, I want to wait, all just right. to make sure that I'm 100% sure what I know what I mean. Yeah, all right, then, go on. So we'll see. So we should probably review something. Go uh, on, you might as well. So let's do Six, mi- let's do, uh, six Minutes to Midnight, which is a uh, new British World War II drama um, written by and starring Eddie Izzard right. in a sort of straight dramatic role, directed by Andy Goddard, who's done a fair amount of TV, uh, and it also stars Judy Dench. It is set in August, in the summer of uh, nineteen thirty-nine, in the uh, run-up to the outbreak of World War II, and is this real uh, strange uh, establishment on the south coast of England in Bexhill-on-Sea, very yeah, near the part be, of the world that it? I grew up in. Isn't that isn't yeah, that for,
0: where Dad's Army comes from? It's a Bex something.
1: Anyway, it, it that might be the reference. Actually. Quite possibly. Quite possibly. Oh, yeah. Well, this is a real place and it was called like the uh, Augusta Victoria School for Girls. Okay. And it was essentially a sort of private finishing school for young German girls. Right. In the South Coast of England in 1939, um or throughout the 30s actually, but uh, but particularly at this at uh, this moment. And those girls are no ordinary girls. They are the the, the daughters of the elite. Yeah. They are sort of they so have the, to be, area The Aryan, really, <laughs> the Aryan uh, sort of next generation. And, uh, you know, they're going, the, you know, this school has existed sort of to refine them in the, you know, in the ways that a finishing school does. But obviously, as the political tides are t- changing, uh, their position is becoming ever more fractious. And uh, Eddie Izzard plays a... Um, a British spy who is sent down by Whitehall to uh, pose as the new English teacher so that he can spy on them because war is about to break out and as and when it does the plan of the Brits is to round all those kids up and use them them as lit leverage against the uh, German high command because they are literally it's all their kids all their daughters uh however as he quickly discovers, uh, there are machinations going on within the walls of this college uh, that might alter alter the course of the war in the opposite direction. Or there are, there are other plans afoot for these young women. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I mean, this it's written by, as I said, by Eddie Izzard, who we know is a massive sort of history buff and he's a mass, massive movie fan as well. You know, he talks about it so much during his stand up. Uh, but it's very difficult to take him seriously as a serious actor, as a straight actor, especially uh, as the lead, you know? And I, his his comedic aura, if you like, is so strong that it, it's difficult to separate him from that. And it's difficult to watch anything that he's involved in, in anything other than a slightly comedic light. Uh, and I think that does seep organically into the project itself you know it is it definitely evokes that kind of sort of John and uh, early Hitchcock kind of uh, sort of espionage cloak and dagger narrative you know it really wants to it's it's lots of sort of surreptitious meetings at phone boxes and on on the end of uh the seaside piers in the dark in Trench coats and hats and sort of That'll quiet whisperings in the corridors and and all the rest of it. So it's it's definitely evocative of sort of wartime spy movies of yesteryear. It does what it um, says on the tin in terms
0: of this kind of period piece. Unfortunately,
1: yes, yes, and I think that's almost to its detriment. It's no better than you know your own your store brand uh, tin tinned goods, if you like. Uh, and there are moments of levity in there and I think those moments end up playing stronger than the more serious moments. There are moments of tension, moments of threats, moments of violence and they never really resonate particularly strongly. Uh, the, the cast of course is a very versatile, very uh, accomplished cast. You've got Judy Dench, you've got Jim Broadbent, James Darcy, people like that but they have done a, enough comedy as well to lean into those comedic moments as well and the the problem with it is it ends up feeling just a little bit flimsy, a little bit light, a little bit frothy and derivative, yeah. so you never quite you never quite take it as seriously as I think it wants to be taken did for you moment. did you think at
0: any stage of the viewing about their finest the movie oh their
1: actually no no I know the film you mean um and it is. It wants to be taken more seriously than that, for sure. Um, but there But unfortunately, it is probably. It probably does land about at about the same pitch and about the same tone as that. that was- so it's not bad. It's. It's a immediately disposable i think eddie Izzard fans will just come to it with a bit of a shrug you know there there is that eddie Izzard sketch where he criticizes british cinema compared with hollywood cinema Ooh. as something that you just really struggle to eat popcorn to and you just sit there and you kind of get okay and i'm bored and unfortunately his movie is a bit like that
0: all right we've got about a minute before the news if you want to carry on on this afterwards by all means do. I want to say hello to Chris who says cultural appropriation of Bexhill culture by the Welsh. He says I don't think a single shot was filmed in Bexhill He says Eddie Izzard grew up in Bexhill and there is no peer in Bexhill So there you go
1: Yeah, I mean, because I was uh, in the opening credits you get a lot of sort of seaside sequences before they've actually sort of stated where it's set. And I was like, okay, this looks a bit like Brighton, which is where I grew up, because you've got the pebble beaches. <laughs> yeah. You've got the pebble beach, you've got the beach huts, you've got the pier, and then it says it's Bexhill. And I, I'm i not sure that I've actually ever been to Bexhill. I know it's close by. It's between kind of Hastings and Eastbourne. Uh, but I don't know that I've ever actually been there. So I didn't know that there was no pier. But it it does, I suppose, a good job of replicating that kind of uh, of innocent British seaside scenery you know sort of picture postcards British coastal town kind of thing so in those moments it feels quite authentic but unfortunately it doesn't really have any interest in, uh, in being about that it wants to be kind of like a gripping uh foggy you know, fo- you know f- foggy spy oh, yeah. it thriller must be dunkirk <laughs> it never and smiley and all those yeah.
0: things chucked in
1: yeah and it never quite it never quite gets there unfortunately all right
0: james sit tight quickie before we get to the news someone wants to know when is it available in hong kong not seeing it now at the cinema says this fella any idea
1: if you're not seeing it at the cinema well it i mean it opened in the cinemas yesterday oh well, there you so, go get out more yeah, so go see it. The cinemas are, as I keep telling you this, and it's still true uh, now that they've reopened, they are one of the safest public communal areas in Hong Kong. They are regulated far better than restaurants are or club. Clubs no are. hot dogs, though. No hot dogs, that's the big problem. Let's us do the weather and the news. Yeah, RTHK.
0: So, join us on Facebook Live if you want to chip in. Always lovely to hear from you during Marshy Movie Time. Steve, good afternoon. Stephen, this is rather. He says, after hearing your review on Raya and the Last Dragon, Raya, Raya and the Last Dragon, uh, I took the family, and we all loved every bit of it. One of the best cartoons in a long time for me, and I love the Asian theme. There you go. Thanks, Stephen.
1: Excellent. Yeah, Raya and the Last Dragon is a, a very strong uh, Disney, essentially Disney princess movie. Uh, with great, you know, great use of some sort of its Asian locations and, and Asian, Southeast Asian mythology. And it's got really funny, really adept uh, voice cast who are all Asian American actors as well. So We're that's next. Cool. It ticks all the boxes and actually ends up being good too. All right, moving on, moving on. Okay, so the, let's go to the, to the big ticket. It's Godzilla versus Kong. So I think this is now officially the 36th. Godzilla movie Uh, if you count all of the Toho movies from Japan uh, it's the fourth in Legendary's uh, Monsterverse as they're calling it it started with um, Gareth Edwards' Godzilla then you had Kong Skull Island which was actually set in the 70s then you had Godzilla King of the Monsters a couple of years ago and now we come to Godzilla vs. Kong, directed this time by Adam Wingard. Uh, So, okay, the story, just to set it up, very simple, set in the present day. There is a company, uh, a big tech company called Apex Cybernetics. Uh, No prizes for guessing if they are a good company or a bad company. Uh, (laughs) Very true. their, their, Their Florida headquarters... Uh, is attacked by Godzilla, completely unprovoked, or so it seems, uh, is attacked by Godzilla, who trashes the whole thing, and then he sort of swims off. And Apex Cybernetics says, okay, this is not great. Um, what we need to do is we, we need to develop a weapon that we can use to defend ourselves against Godzilla. Who's just swam off. He's just swum off. Yeah. Yes. But we still need a defense. So him. it's a. In the long term, we need we need a way of defending ourselves against this guy. Um, there is a power source that they have detected in that coming from the center of the planet, and this ties in with a theory known as the Hollow Earth theory, uh, that is, you know, largely um, derided and laughed at by academics. However. He goes to see a guy called Professor Kind, played by uh, Alexander Skarsgård, who wrote a book on the hollow earth theory. And he says, look, I want to uh, uh, take a mission down into the hollow earth which he reckons is the birthplace and the origin of all of these great monsters Mm. all of these titans have come from this world we detect that there's like a natural environment down there in the center of the planet uh, and also this great energy source that we want to tap but we need a guide to take us down there into the center of the earth so we need one of these titans who you know because they will have this sort of natural homing instinct to go back to where they came from so who have we got we've got king kong who has currently been held in kind of... They've turned Skull Island into kind of a sort of quarantined containment area. Right. Uh, so they, they pitch the idea to his handlers, who reluctantly agree, but they, they say, look, as soon as we take him out of this area, Godzilla will detect him and will come, at, come for him. And they're like, well, it's, the risk is worth it. And so they take Godzilla, and they take King Kong down to antarctica where there is this hole this gateway down into the center of the planet and they go on a mission down there to try and tap into this resource and guess what yeah godzilla does show up of and he does um, <laughs> And it's, it's on. So that's essentially the setup. There's, there's lots of other stuff going on. I mean, like as, as is the case in all of these movies, and has been since the very beginning, pretty much, the human characters are, are very much secondary to the monsters. You know, in all of those old Toho, Godzilla versus this, Godzilla versus that movies, it's all about the men in the big rubber suits fighting each other and smashing their way through Tokyo or some other city. Uh, and, and those th- th- monsters got increasingly silly and the setting got increasingly silly and the surrounding narrative also got, you know, they went to other planets and they went, you know, there was a deranged scientists, and they created biologically enhanced creatures and, and r- massive robot creatures. See, all- when you use that tone of voice,
0: James, it's brilliant because I know what you're thinking. It's just you're reading off a list and here we go again, right?
1: <laughs> well...
0: Yeah, I I mean, it is. It's You know, I'm actually not being rude
1: this time. Okay. Well, so what I... You know, as much as I've liked the recent films, the one thing I felt that they've lacked to do is really tap into the sort of the silliness of the old Japanese movies and the the kind of really batty kind of sci-fi element to it, you know, the space stuff and all the rest of it. This film, thankfully, finally really embraces all of that. I don't want to go into too many details, because I think so far the, the marketing has done a good job of hiding just how bonkers and ridiculous uh, the story of this, in this film gets, and so I want to uh, respect that. Suffice to say that if you thought that it didn't really go into all the sort of nutty, crazy, fantasy, sci-fi stuff very much in the last three films, mm. rest assured,
0: this time it does. It's an interesting thing here, James. Is it a coincidence that when you see films, there was a period fairly recently where you'd get your 60s iconic stuff, you get your sci-fi iconic stuff, Batman, et etc., et cetera, and they went dark. Mm-hmm. Everything has to be dark. But now you're saying these guys, they're doing a bit more true to Men in Suits.
1: Well, this is it. I mean, Godzilla started off very dark as well. You know, that first Godzilla movie back yeah. in, what, 1954, I want to say, uh... Is is an incredibly sombre piece of work where Godzilla is sort of this almost mindless force of destruction that is born out of the wake of of the atomic terror, if you like. And it's it, that is about the, the only film that does have good human characters and real human drama. You mm. know where there are real stakes and real lives on the line. By the time you got to uh, just a couple of films in, uh, it's you know godzilla's got a kid and he's bouncing up and down and he's flying around on his on his tail and they they increasingly skewed towards a younger childlike audience now back and forth over the years they have really sort of yo-yoed between finding where the demographic for godzilla and the
0: whole is. scientific thing about godzilla's kids or do we just take that as a given
1: yeah i mean i remember in son of godzilla there there is some kind of explanation like, but i don't remember what it is godzilla um some,
0: anyway yeah It's a willing abandonment of disbelief moment, isn't it?
1: Exactly. Exactly. But, uh, you know, but as the years go on, they sometimes get more serious. Some of them, one of them, and I, I, one of them actually made me cry. I did a big deep dive. When the last Godzilla movie came in, I did a big deep dive, and I watched a whole load of the old ones to find out which ones were the best. And there's one called Godzilla vs. Destroyer that I think came out in, like, the... Late 80s, early 90s, which was, which was at the time supposed to be kind of the end of it. It was supposed to be like, this is going to be the last Godzilla movie. Uh, and it's actually incredibly sort of serious and, and quite moving and emotional as the ending, uh, as it gets to the end. Um, so here, it's more like they've been doing the serious grounded stuff and the moody stuff and they wanted to sort of lighten the tone. Interestingly, the guy they've brought in to do that is Adam Wingard, who, who's come out of the indie horror movie scene. Mm. Uh, they have they have hired horror directors, or indie directors, for all of these films so far. So you've had Gareth Edwards, uh, Jordan Vogt-Roberts, and... Um, Michael Doherty who's, who did the three preceding this and Adam Wingard comes out of, sort of this, the new indie horror scene in America with films like You're Next and The Guest uh, the latest incarnation of Blair Witch uh, so this is his first big scale epic but I think he really embraces it, he understands what the audience wants to see, why audiences are attracted to Godzilla movies and what a movie entitled Godzilla vs. Kong should be about and what that should be about are epic big-scale fight sequences between these massive monsters. That's now, the, the, last, film, the, King, thing, the last film, King of the Monsters, had a lot of that, but it was always set at night in the rain with lots of shaky cameras, and you, it was criticized. You couldn't really see what was going on. This one, you've got entire action set pieces that take place in broad daylight in the middle of the ocean and, most specifically, take place in Hong Kong the whole of the third act of the film takes place on and around Hong Kong Harbourfront. So there's massive dust-ups, and the big finale is just a massive scrap in Admiralty. And um, so local fans should be entertained by that. Um, So for me, this this was a surprisingly entertaining return to form that fully acknowledges these movies are, A, about massive monsters hitting each other and yeah. that's what you're paying to see but also they could come out of a world of uh, envelope pushing but silly family friendly sci-fi nonsense done well and done well you know yeah. and this is d- not, this is exactly that it's big loud nonsense but done very well brilliant um, one more two more what you got okay let's do one more otherwise I'm going to tire myself out uh, so Our Our Friend is an American drama from Gabriella Cop- Copperthwaite uh, that's based on a, an Esquire magazine article called The Friend by a journalist called Matthew Teague which was based on his own experiences when um His wife was diagnosed with cancer, he had two young daughters, and he realized that he had been sort of out of the picture so much, sort of traveling to war zones around the world, he had been to Afghanistan and Iraq and all these places reporting from the front lines, and he really was kind of out of touch with his own family. Yeah. Uh, and now when his, his wife and his daughters really needed him to be there and be at home, he realised, okay, I can't do this on my own. And their, their mutual kind of best friend, a guy called Dane, played here by Jason Siegel, sort of just steps up and he sort of puts his. In, he, he was, he's kind of a bit of a slacker, a bit of a loser kind of guy, never really has a successful job, doesn't really have a re- successful relationship, not a lot going on. And in any other situation, you'd be like... This, is, this guy's a deadbeat and he's kind of like uh, just excess baggage. But he steps in and says, you know what? I don't have anything else going on. I will, I'll come and stay for a couple of weeks just to help you get through this rough patch. Mm-hmm. And he ended up staying and then becoming sort of part of the family for years. Uh, and sort of inserting himself as a buffer between... Uh, Matthew and his and his wife uh, as you know Nicole as things get rough looking after the kids doing the school runs making the food uh, at a time when they really needed it now this is kind of the kind of overly okay let me get this let me say this right this kind of sort of unashamedly earnest filmmaking is really difficult to pitch right and and it really sort of opens it up uh, to just taking a kicking from the critics, basically. You know, it, it asks a lot. It's incredibly vulnerable. It's incredibly sort of well-meaning. And there are moments of comedy. I mean, Jason Siegel is a very accomplished comedic actor and improviser and what have you. You know, people will, he He's the one that uh, sort of resuscitated the Muppets uh, about 10 years ago. And he came out of Judd Apatow's sort of stable of uh, improvisational comedy. Uh, so he does bring levity to the situation but also to the film uh, but it doesn't in any way sort of treat cancer lightly or dismissively but it wants to approach it from a different angle. This isn't a film about a woman succumbing to cancer yeah, and about the suffering she goes through. This is a story about you know, someone who s- stepped into the breach and helped a family through a very difficult period and I thought it was actually done incredibly well. I was expecting it to be You know very cheesy very sentimental very grating overly overly self-important how's
0: the realism on this one i mean what i'm thinking here is it's trying to say this does happen to people and this is what happens around them
1: yeah i mean i think it was it's helped by the fact that it is a true story you know and that it is you know adapted from a real article there's a, a certain degree of um liberty has to be taken to sort of change what the real story elements of the real story into something that will work as a film Um, but I think the performances are great I mean Casey Affleck has built his whole career on being these kind of monosyllabic mumbling introverted guys who don't know how to express themselves who don't know how to emote and Mm. so he's perfectly cast here (laughs) as is Jason Segel I mean Dakota Johnson uh, as as the the dying wife, she doesn't have a great amount to do, to be honest. But uh, I think she does it quite well, and we have seen, you know, in very different films. But we have seen that she is capable of playing a kind of victim who takes charge of their situation in 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 stuff as ridiculous as Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, that's what that film's about. It's someone being put into a put into a corner and then taking charge of that situation so and i think she does her job well and i think the two young actresses who play the daughters do a fine job as well so this again it took me by surprise i was expecting something incredibly self-important and it ended up being something that actually is quite genuinely touching
0: some good stuff to see this week just remind us what it is
1: okay so that is called our friend uh there's also godzilla versus kong and six minutes to midnight. Nice one, James. We'll do it all over again next week. Have yourself a lovely
0: weekend and next week. Bye-bye for now. See ya. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.